Content warning for mentions of relationship abuse. Hello and welcome to the Billy Shears Club. I'm your host, Caleb Clark, and with me today is Ricky Flowers, former host of The Troublemakers and Late Motif. How are you doing today, Ricky? Not too bad. How about yourself? I'm doing all right today. I'm doing all right. Well, folks, we've got two albums coming your way today. We've got Ovenel Ovenel by Diane Cook and In the Groove by Jiro Inagake and his soul media. Uh, Ricky, why don't you take us away with our lady, Diane Cluck? <clears throat> sure thing. Uh, okay, so Diane Cluck is uh, an American singer-songwriter. She's from, I guess, like Virginia, East Coast generally. Um, and she is kind of associated with uh, a music scene there that's kind of just like anti-folk, if you heard of that, just like stuff like Regina Spector and then, but just general singer-songwriter type stuff out there. Um, and the, the album is Ovanil Ovanil. Oh, <laughs> I, I apologize. Oh, no, I don't know. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but... I'm just saying you might want to look up like the title. <laughs> I think it's some sort of pun or something. Uh, but we might get into that too. But yeah, so the album came out in like 2004. Um, and I apparently it, it was sort of a uh, for Emma Forever Go type thing where she just like secluded herself in a cabin in the woods, or I guess it was in. California, maybe sort of a desert from some listening to some of the lyrics, but, um, and yeah, kind of just came up with this album. That's most, I think it's exclusively her singing and guitar. Um, but yeah, uh, I think I found this album through like, well, we'll get into that, I guess, but, um, yeah, it's kind of generally just folksy, sort of a little bit dissonant at times, a little bit strange. She, I think she describes her style as intuitive folk. So it's kind of like she has her own little way of playing the guitar and stuff. But yeah, so that's the album. I found this album. I couldn't actually remember how, like, how I found this album. But I knew that I had heard there was some album or song that I, I was listening to and I really wanted to find something else that was like that. And, and because of that, somehow that led me to this album. I couldn't remember what it was that led me to it. I still am not exactly sure. I think it might have been Mount Erie's Lost Wisdom. Um, but anyways, it... Just the general vibe is sort of, like I was saying, just sort of, it kind of just sounds like somebody went off into the woods and secluded themselves and wrote some sort of strange uh, music with lyrics that are, that kind of alternate between um, like clear... Uh, 
narrative and imagery and strange philosophical abstraction. <laughs> um, and I really enjoy that. Um, I also think the music has a lot. It's, you know, I just really enjoy her style of playing. I think, like, there's just this element of dissonance and, like, weird technique at times that just always keeps each song interesting. Um, I wasn't too sure, like, if you were into music like this, but I felt pretty confident that there's at least enough in this album to merit at least one or two critical listens, and so I'm really curious to hear what you think about it. Yeah, yeah, I would say one or two listens was an underestimate. I would definitely say like this took a good four listens before I really got into it, and also like sitting down with the lyric sheets and being like, "What does this mean?" But yeah, yeah, this was a really interesting album, very good album, but like one I'm never entirely sure if I got. Like you say, it sounds like someone secluded themselves in a cabin for a while, like just this very sparse. You mentioned it's all her on guitar and vocals, and usually it's just like one vocal take and one uh, guitar take it felt like that like you know we usually or at least when i usually think of folk even if it's really stripped down you know you'll at least have like someone put a tapping their toe to keep time maybe like or some sort of backing vocals or a bass line or something or some rhythm but for a lot of the album it's very pared down like just the one guitar and one vocal like occasionally she'll have a second little guitar for accents and there are a couple of songs where she did some she did her own backing vocals mm -hmm. and those sounded like extravagant by the time that you yeah. get into this album like it was like what's all this production in gloss you're selling out diane and then yeah. at the very end she actually brings in an accordion which was like what other oh, instruments really? exist yeah uh, while dear dawn there's that little accordion or harmonica Maybe notes in the background. That's not very noticeable. Huh. But yeah, oh, like you say. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, like you say, very intuitive and abstract. Like, she has this very poetic approach to writing everything where you get the general idea of what she's going for, but you're never really sure of the specifics. And you, and at least for me, I half doubted if I truly got it. Like, uh, and yeah, the guitar playing, once I listened to it a few times, I could find more of a rhythm and it seemed a bit more normal, but it was still, yeah, very strange compared to like, because let's face it, I don't listen to a lot of very out there folk. Like, so me coming from like Fleet Foxes and I don't know, Kingston Trio from back on Troublemakers, like this is just way out there. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, as far as individual tracks, I ended up having to go and do like a track by track thing. Yeah. All I bring is, yeah, let's see. Oh, uh, before I do that, I guess like vocals, very good vocals, like very enchanting and like that sort of plaintive, witchy way where she doesn't show yeah. a lot of emotion. And it just yeah, makes that, it... was, that was another thing I wanted to mention. Like, I just get this really vivid idea that, or image of her as sort of like, uh, 
a witch type person, <laughs> not in, not yeah. in a bad way, but in a very like mysterious guess, kind of like like she has this power personality. Yeah. I think it's kind of in that vein. But, it's like it's like a staring. Her voice is staring you in your soul. Yeah, yeah, that's a good mm-hmm. vibe. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess love, like, I love her vocals too. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like I went through all the trying to figure out what the songs were about. I think all I bring is love is about an abusive relationship because she's talking about like calling things like beating and writing someone and leaving them hollow love. Uh, hmm. Half a million miles from home. That seems to be sort of about rapture, but since it's from an outside perspective, it felt kind of calculating and eerie and also there were a couple moments where it's like it seemed like she had like like he's half a million miles from home because she whisked him away to the woods so that was like uh, I think telepathic oh no I'll let you keep going and then I'll respond (laughs) yeah okay Uh, telepathic desert I think that's about long distance relationships and telephones but really cosmic scale and devastating uh easy to be around that was nice i didn't quite get it but it seemed to be a love song that was really sweet uh turnaround road i like that sort of the recovery story versus all that uh i think sandy reads about transcending human human mores but i'm not entirely sure bones and born again there's something in there about death and rebirth and abandonment and comfort. Petite Roses, I think that's I think Petite Roses is just a image song about that maybe, but I don't know. Hold together, let go if you will. That's more about inevitability and free will. Your million sweetnesses about love and while the earth dawn is like a search for calm. So yeah, very very deep philosophical album that I'm never entirely sure if I got, but very her approach to lyrics, yeah, very image-based and kind of cryptic at times, but very good. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like from your general takeaways that, I mean, that that's pretty much enough to, like, help to get you engaged, I think. I, th- I think, um, yeah, I kind of thought, uh, which one? Telepathic desert. I don't know. To me, that one seemed more about like maybe about technology in in like a broad sense, and how it like and causes this like constant interference in relationships, and yet I think and yet like true still persists like there's this line it stumbles over distances but i have sent enough the atmosphere unraveling till you receive this love it's just like yeah i don't know i love that one um yeah. i really liked the turnaround road too it's very there's so many it's very descriptive images um that you can kind of latch on to, even if you're not sure what 
that's really going on. Also, yeah, like like Bones and Born Again is one that I'm still kind of confused by, but I think. Maybe like a meditative experience, mainly because of the first couple of lines where it's about doubt and thoughts, this place where doubt and thoughts are ushered away. Uh, I don't know, that just kind of seemed like, kind of like withdrawing into this like Zen meditative experience and yet, um, and the way when you're there, it's like very peaceful and beautiful. And yet you kind of maybe because she's talking about how she's talking to someone who knows that she's dying. So it's like you feel even when you're there, you feel this disconnect from the world and the people in it. Um, yeah. And I think Wild Deer at Dawn is definitely my favorite on my favorite song, I think lyrically and musically on the album. It's definitely I think that's the one that I think that's the one that it like gave me a reason to come back to this album. Because it's I think melodically it's very uh it's a lot more, um, what's the word? You can just, it's a lot easier to grasp than any of the other songs. Um, there's not a whole lot of weird dissonance or chords going on. Um, and it's just this beautiful image of this of her just walk, watching deer come out from the woods actually reminds me of a poem by, uh, I think it's Louise Gluck. I'm not sure. If, whoa, I didn't even realize they basically have the same last name. That's crazy. Wow. Anyways. Um, yeah, I think, did you have anything else you wanted to say? Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess if I had to pick favorite tracks, I guess, uh, yeah, Telepathic Desert, Desert's up there. Bones mm -hmm. uh, and Bones Born Again also, and Turn Around Road. Uh, Petite, I think Petite Roses is in the upper half for me. Hold Together, if you will, Let Go, if you will, those were both interesting ones. And also I liked Easy to Be Around. That was definitely, that was another one that was much more accessible yeah. Simple, like, you know, really sweet. So, yeah. Yeah. It's I think just... the one song on the album I didn't like that much was, I, I mean, I still enjoy it, but not quite as much as the others, is Your Million Sweetnesses. I'm not sure why. <laughs> it's just not as interesting, but yeah. it's still good. Yeah, it definitely wasn't as... Album or profound, I guess. Mm. Um, oh yeah, and Sandy Ree was. I love Sandy Ree too. I think, and I think it's like sort of based or apparently the 
part of the lyrics are based on an Af African-American spiritual. But then she kind of goes her own way with it. But yeah, I like that one a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, it's just yeah, it's a really great album. Like, yeah, I'm glad you liked it. I'll I'll call you back in a year and say whether uh, you hit it yet or not. Like maybe after I read some philosophy books for once. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think it's just. It's more like poetry. <laughs> like you don't, if you if you can have like a takeaway that's a sentence long that summarizes the poem, then it's not a good poem, or you didn't get the poem. <laughs> so I don't know. But yeah, I'm glad you liked it. I kind of personally, I'm not like. I don't listen to a ton of stuff in this style either, but I just felt like this album, I, I don't know, there's something really unique to it and it'd be cool if it got a little more attention maybe, but we're not. I, I definitely, <laughs> no, hopefully so. I definitely, I can't say too many other albums I've heard with like literally just acoustic guitar, like maybe the Robert Johnson recordings and that, Open Fire Two Guitars album by Johnny Mathis. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, I I don't listen to a lot of music that requires just an acoustic guitar, but those are the only like I don't think it's don't have just those just that. So yeah, I think that's kind of what I was that that's one thing I was looking for because yeah, you should check out that Mount Erie Lost Wisdom album if you enjoyed this. It's pretty similar. Well, I don't know, remotely similar, but yeah, just stuff that's just someone singing and playing guitar, but they're not just strumming or doing like basic finger picking patterns. There's actually like some interesting musical elements going on. So, but yeah, Mississippi John Hurt is one of my favorites in like the old blues style i don't know if you've ever listened to him but i think i've heard a song of his oh one of my one of my friends uh kiana she was on the show before she sent me a song he did a while back it was really nice yeah he actually in like his i don't know 80s or 70s or 80s he did a bunch of recordings for library of congress and so we have you know pretty good sound quality versions of a lot of his songs, so he, I I think he's maybe unique in that regard. But anyways, yeah, yeah. great album. Thank you very much. Yeah. All right. Now time for "In the Groove" by Jiro Inigake and his Soul Media. Media. So I tried to find because like. I ended, sometimes YouTube algorithms send you down a rabbit hole, and one of the rabbit holes for me is Japanese jazz albums because they're <laughs> they're not really on Spotify. That's the thing with apparently <laughs> apparently 
as far as Japanese music industry is not very focused on spreading outside of Japan. So they don't have a lot of stuff up on Spotify, especially older music. But uh, yeah, so, and I couldn't find any like biographical information about the guy. Like, all I knew about yeah. him was a couple of albums that I found on YouTube. And there's like nothing on him. Like, I couldn't really find anything on like all music or discogs or anything beyond he existed. So instead, I guess I'll talk more about the general Japanese jazz scene because that seemed to have a interesting history where it like started with a uh, like American and Filipino musicians had like visited Japan and they like brought some jazz music with them and like some Japanese musicians had uh, found jazz sheet music and brought it back and so around the 1920s and it got really popular but then like apparently the more socially conservative elements Japanese culture were not very pleased with uh, you know jazz music because jazz music in the 20s and so <laughs> they tried to shut it down they closed up some dance halls and I believe at least the one article said I forget which city I believe Osaka and then they just moved to Tokyo and then they tried to do a nationwide ban during World War Two, because this was a because World War Two Japan very hyper national, and so wanted to take out the American music of jazz, and so they it didn't quite work, and then it really didn't work right after because the American troops came over and occupied Japan, and they wanted to hear jazz music, so the Japanese musicians started losing jazz music to get paid. And so that was sort of the, so yeah, it's this weird scene, especially because one thing that I found an article from NPR and it noted that due to one of the big demands being American soldiers who wanted to hear music that sounded like America is that a lot of Japanese jazz musicians sounded really close to American musicians where they were like emulating one specific person and doing songs in their style. And the jazz scene just sort of stayed at that stage for into the 60s. However, at the Jiro Inagake, at this point in his career, he seems to have, in 1973, he was sort of in that, for a, at least for according to some, for a group called the Crusaders back in America. So the mm-hmm. American group. It's not, it's not like his whole career, like a, his he had an album in 1970 that was more of like a psychedelic very trippy one but uh this album in the groove it's very much him sort of playing around with the sound of the crusaders and general some other american jazz folks and uh he's got a lot of covers uh including three songs by the crusaders and uh one song by a guy called gary burton and uh one cover of the thrill is gone by bb king and yeah. but I, I think he sort of, there's still a case to be made that he like made it his own in a way. Like you listen to this, it's this very precise, sunshiny album with a laid back groove that kind of tricks you into thinking that it's more laid back than it actually is because musicianship is just very tight. It's like, it's this really nice album that you can just sort of relax to on a Saturday morning while, you know, running errands or something and just vibe with it because it's, They've just got great saxophone, great trombone, great rhythm section and guitar, great piano lines. It's just a really made, well-made jazz fusion album. And yeah, that's my general 
history and overview. What did you think, Ricky? Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit, actually. Um, I probably know like a lot less about Japanese jazz in general, but also jazz fusion than you do. But um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I will mention that, <laughs> I don't know if you saw this, but the uh, speaks and Krill is gone. Two that were not by the Crusaders did have Crusaders versions as well. <laughs> oh, oh, I didn't so see I, that. Yeah, so which sounded a lot more like the Euro in Agaki versions too. But I do think I don't know. I mean, it's probably just a prior like it can't, I listened to it first, but I do prefer the. The Jiro Inagaki versions, um, mainly because of one thing I really enjoyed about the album, which is just the extremely tight production, and also, I mean, the just really tight musicianship and like none of nobody's doing anything too crazy. It's all pretty laid like laid back music wise, but. Um, it's just very, I don't know, it just feels very tight and precise, like you said. Um, and the drumming is always just so groovy, as the name of the album would imply. Um, but yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, there's some good variety, too. Like, there's a couple of, like, Latin sounding tracks which i seems like they might have been originals just or at least one of them um the tamba chimba at the end yeah but also it's impossible that's sort of a uh i don't know latin groove to it um and then there's a the one track joie de vivre which is really lyrical and quite nice actually um and euro kind of flexes his lyrical abilities with the sax on that one i enjoyed that one quite a bit um i also i don't know i think stuff like this sometimes there's almost too much variety like some I know, I, I've heard some jazz fusion albums where there's just too many instruments or like instruments change too much from one track to the next. That didn't really happen here. And I actually really appreciated that. Like, it's just, it sounds like it's just, you know, I don't know, four, I guess five guys just kind of jamming out, but yeah. doing, you know, being very professional about it, but kind of having a good time so yeah i guess going to particular songs switching but that was definitely a really good one uh i will say like i think i'd have to go back and listen to the crusaders version of uh thrill is gone to see how it stacks versus the 
But uh, I would say of the tougher versions that he has, because I think the other four that I think, because I think that I'm not sure if the others might have been covers too. Was this say like however many, but uh, the four other ones were that's how I feel. Put it where you want it, and the Papa Hooper's Barrel House Groove by the Crusaders, and then Raven Speaks by the uh, which one call it. Gary Burton. Yeah, I think I think that's how I feel. I prefer the Crusaders version, but they're definitely very different beasts because the Crusaders, it's like this. More, they're a lot more funky and loose, I feel, than Jiro. They, mm. And that one, the Crusaders version of That's How I Feel, there's a lot more fuzz guitar, and eventually it goes into like this psychedelic rock breakout. The oh yeah, and then the Giro. That's a little, you know, that's a little safe for my taste. The Giro version. It's a little, it's okay. It's it's good. It's nice, but it's like when you see the original version. This is this is like the Kenny G version. But uh, mm. I think put it where you put it where you want it. That was uh really nice because uh especially this one part where this. Well, Overall, they're pretty close. Like, there's the differences again with the loose and funky versions, precise and a little bit more jazzy. But uh, Jiro has this little part where the saxophone, where they do a big piano slide, and then the saxophone breaks through, and there's uh, like all this going on, and like this sort of like crescendo moment where everything's beautiful. That was a really good touch. That was a good addition that I liked. I think I prefer the Papa Hooper version because they. Jiro extends the original, gives more times for solos, and like lets out and like really fleshes out the original version. So I think that was an improvement too. And that's another thing, like even though they're cover versions, they're still like original solos stuff. So it's not just yeah. like note for note trans translations. They're yeah, I mean I mean I would say in the jazz context context, you don't they don't really we don't really think of it as like covers. It's more just that's just what you do in jazz. You play songs that have already been written. But yeah, you but you probably put your own spin. Yeah. 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 Also the the last the last cover version, the Raven Speak, those are that's another one where it's very different, but I think I was okay with the I was about equal footing for the Giro and the Gary Burton versions because the Gary Burton it's lots of vibraphone and kind of trippy and the soul media version it's smooth chill but in a good way so i kind of like that yeah it was overall really nice really nice he's a he's a Shiro's a great saxophonist yeah um i think one one thing about the crusaders songs is i don't know maybe what is that called that guitar is it just called like a wah-wah guitar or like wah-wah pedal that's yeah wah -wah, like the effect yeah it makes it sound all funky whatever they're doing it's all over their songs and i not a big fan of that sound <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's still there for the euro inagaki versions mm -hmm. but it's definitely not as prominent though <laughs> I mean that's kind of a shallow reason, but 
I'd say I'd mostly prefer the Hiro Inagaki ones. Um, but it does kind of, I don't know. I think they have kind of a, uh, I don't know. To me, it seemed a bit closer to like, I don't know. Almost like sometimes they slow it down to the point where it's almost like, it just re- almost reminds me of like stoner rock or like, I don't know, like jam rock where that's just kind of slow. And I don't know. I, I have the, I sort of get the, the feel of it, of them sort of, uh, playing a bit lower i don't know if they if they lowered the keys at all but or um so uh, inagake or inagake, yeah just i don't know it seems like a bit of a progression like more towards the rock side of things but i enjoyed that a bit more but i don't know i'm kind of kind of just rambling um songs i think i don't know i like i i liked uh thrill is gone and raven speaks were right next to each other on the album which is kind of interesting because they're very similar but i i did like both of them they're just very soulful um and there's like a nice Rhodes piano on the on raven speak Raven Speaks, which I enjoyed a lot. Um, then if, I think, I don't know, it, It's Impossible was really a fun one. That, oh, that was, was, um, that was Yeah. Kind of the fast. I, I was trying to figure out what kind of, I went on sort of a rabbit, or went down kind of a rabbit hole trying to figure out like the names of different Latin grooves. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think that one might be a Mozambique groove. But I don't know if any of our listeners are like jazz musicians. <laughs> Feel free to <laughs> call us out on that. But yeah, that was it. I had to pick some. Uh, yeah, it's impossible. It's really great. I think I have to put it put it where you where you want it, just for the sheer beauty of that one breakthrough moment. And uh, yeah, the Papa Hooper was nice. Samba Chimba, the last track, definitely too. Yeah, mm-hmm. overall, just really great, smooth. Yeah, maybe part of it's because, like, when I was in middle and high school, I was in my school's jazz band, and so that just like, I just yeah. really <laughs> that just ingrained in me a sense of yeah, like jazz, the best. Yep, I have a little bit of that. I was in jazz band just in middle school, <laughs> so uh, maybe. <laughs> Not quite as as enduring, but <laughs> it's still yeah. There, it definitely does bring back some memories to me, because a lot of times we would play stuff that was more more like this, more in the like fusion style, where the 
chord progressions are never super complicated yeah. <laughs> and it's just kind of, and there's room for an electric guitar player because yeah. you always got to incorporate them in your middle school jazz band. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, thanks for recommending this. I, I really enjoyed it. Oh, I got to do, I guess we're wrapping up for like one last note on the Inagaki. That bass was amazing. That was just the best bass yeah. song ever. But yeah, that's my last yeah. note. Definitely. Yeah. But yeah, I guess if are you wrapped up then? Um, let me see if there was. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well then, let's wrap this up. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening. You've been, this has been the Billy Shears Club. Uh, today we listened to Ovanil Ovanil by Diane Clark and In the Groove by Jiro Inagake and Shirsol. This episode I'm Caleb Clark. Produced by Caleb Clark. I'm Mikey Flowers. And have a good day. <laughs>